most interesting part of this entire thing to me is the, the specificity of the hour from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Friday, on Saturday, and on Sunday nights. These are the hours you're allowed to play. And, you know, China is a massive country, but has one official time zone. So everybody is playing at that time of day, even if it's dark outside, light outside, whatever it is, that's the time of day you can play. Hi, everyone. It's Yuval Pasov, your host of Game On Asia, a podcast about the mobile gaming ecosystem in Asia. Today, I'm talking with Lisa Cosmos Hansen, president of Nico Partners, the leader in Asian games market intelligence. Why you should listen to episode number 11 of Game On Asia? Because as you know, this is the best episode ever and one of the best way to explore the mobile gaming ecosystem in Asia. In this episode, we'll focus on China. How does the latest restriction for young people to play video games for three hours a week impact the gaming companies in China? Why is this change going to have major impact on esports? And what are the four C's that are so important to be successful in the East? And they include competition, completion, community, and challenge. In case you missed our previous episode, make sure to check them and discover the gaming markets in the region, including China, Japan, Korea, India, Vietnam, Australia, and Indonesia. Enjoy the episode and make sure to subscribe and check our website, gameonasia.net. Enjoy the episode. So, Lisa, it's great to have you here with us today. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And uh, I think that uh, usually I start with uh, you introducing yourself uh, in one minute um, or less or a little bit more. Uh, I'm Lisa Cosmas Hansen. I am the president and founder of Nico Partners. Nico Partners is a market research and consulting firm that focuses on the video game industry in Asia. We have uh, a lot of data, data-rich analysis that uh, we collect proprietary data and we work with uh, macroeconomic data, survey data and much more types of data to be able to come up with insights and analysis on the games industry in uh, 10 markets, no 11 markets in Asia and we are expanding to parts of the Middle East right now as well. Uh, this company was formed, I founded it in uh, 19 years ago. It'll wow. be 20 years old in February. So if people are still listening to this podcast sometime in 2022, then they will know that the company is 20 years old. And it's a small company, but it's a very focused and we're, we're quite efficient at what we do. We have analysts all over the place and we spend most of our time talking to publishers or developers or media companies or hardware makers, government agencies and so forth, trying to help them all make sense of the opportunity for their service or product or the their interaction with the games industry within the markets that we track. Perfect. Great. So I hope that you will have another amazing 20 years ahead. Um, and if I'm um, looking at the, you know, with the, the pandemic, um, every, every one of us learns something about uh about uh, themselves. What, what did you learn about yourself in the last two years working more remotely 
um, and with, with more restrictions. Oh, you mean personally? Yes, personally. Okay, well, let's see. I learned how much I value the opportunity to go outside and get fresh air, burn off some steam and exercise at the times of day when I need to do that, not just as before, which would be, you know, before 7 a.m. or after 6 p.m., but kind of the ability to um, work remotely and have meetings that are done remotely has enabled me to sort of escape for an hour at an odd time of day and uh, take care of myself. And I think that makes me more productive and uh, more responsive to not only Mark team and our clients, but to my family and to myself. Let's move on to, to China. Um, as, as, as you know, they restricted young people uh, to playing video games for three hours per week. Um, mm. It started, uh, they announced it in August, it started in September. So we have a little bit of data since then. And it would be great um, for, for the audience that doesn't, um, you know, doesn't have all the updates regarding this. What led to this uh, change? And, and how did they manage to, to enforce it since they actually started that? Yeah. Well, I believe what led to the change is that the state council and the government entities in China were disappointed that there were some loopholes or companies that were enabling or otherwise not preventing gamers from getting around regulations that have been put in place already. The government is quite concerned with the what you know their definition of the safety of youth uh, across all kinds of digital content and mm-hmm. all kinds of any any content and they want to make sure that the approved content is available but that behavior around consumption of that content is healthy by their definition of healthy so uh, we, can observe that there had already been a restriction on the number of hours in a week that a person under age 18 was allowed to play games. That was 13.5 hours a week, and it was at their choice. Uh, but when I think the government probably, I, I, first of all, I never, ever pretend to speak for the government of China and, or comment on, yeah. on my opinions of it. But I, I do believe that the government realized that many kids were getting away with playing more hours than they were supposed to. Hmm. And so rather than you know instruct the parents to handcuff their children to their beds at night, they just said to the game companies who are serving online games, please help us here. You have to put these processes in place. Hmm. And so... Technologically, there are now, you know, systems in place that help the government enforce their policy of having youth gamers not play games more than a limited amount of time. As a result of this, they really cracked down and they determined that three hours a week is plenty. And specifically, and the most interesting part of this entire thing to me is the the specificity of the hour from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Friday, on Saturday, and on Sunday nights. These are the hours you're allowed to play. And, you know, China is a massive country but has one official time zone. So everybody is playing 
at that time of day, even if it's dark outside, light outside, whatever it is, that's the time of day you can play. Mm. And I kind of feel sorry for the seven and eight year olds who were really getting into Minecraft because they're not awake from eight to nine anymore, you know, yeah. or, and, or if they are, their parents are probably not throwing them in front of their iPads. So they, this does not constrain offline games. So I, if you're, you can play a game if it's in the offline mode. Yeah. Uh, there's no way to measure that. So I suppose it might help boost that type of play, you know, mm-hmm. Minecraft offline or some other things. Uh, and importantly, this is not a law. This is just a policy. I say just a policy, but, you know, it is a policy, not a law. And it the policy goes to the companies, the online operators, publishers who are serving the games to the consumers, they are the ones who are obliged to put in place a system whereby the gamer cannot exceed those hours of play. And that in order to enforce that, they must, in many cases, check uh, facial recognition. They must check the real ID. They must have certain you know, checks and balances in place to make this all possible. And there'll be more and more, I suppose, methods of checking but we hope that that is the most stringent of the regulations that will be coming out and can you tell us the difference between a law and a policy the difference is that a gamer cannot be arrested hmm okay you know for playing more than that time uh, that the game companies could be punished I'm not sure what the retribution actually is but But they are instructed that they must adhere to this by a certain date and they must prove that they're doing it and so forth. Okay. So I suppose if more companies were to say, eh, I don't want to do that, the government would come after them. But they're not coming after the 12-year-old at okay. home who was able to log on to a game. No. Yeah. Okay. And, and how it's, it started in, in 1st of September, we are, you know... It's already almost two months uh, months and a half anything that you hear back like in terms of like it was successful any feedback from from the gaming companies um, I heard that the game companies are all complying and that they had you know some some days of time to make sure it was all gonna happen and I The first weekend there were some servers crashing because they were overloaded perhaps in a specific hour yeah in that specific hour and we've just finished the national holiday you know the, the the lunar festival week and the and so they on holidays you're also allowed to play for an hour so the gamers had access for the times of you know the the all the days during that period of time and I suppose that everybody's just getting used to it I I think that there has been a shift in usage Nico partners will be adjusting our forecast for the games market in China based on this policy we have not released that revised forecast but it will be revised from what it was when we made it in April uh, and we You know this will have an impact not on revenue because almost all the revenue comes from adults 
but on future behavior of gamers. Okay. And, and I think that the question is that you said that this will not impact the revenue, but in terms of, you know, we see in, in the West a lot of the innovation coming actually from China, a lot of things mm-hmm. happening and they're leading the gaming market. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah. think will happen, you know, f- from this term? Uh, that you have limit of time of engagement with the next generation. Yeah. Well, uh, first, I think you raise a good, good point. We've been saying for these, all these 19 years that China and other parts of Asia are leading the world in game innovation in terms of, you know, servers and concurrent users and business models and the ability to um, engage and extend the tail of life for each game and esports and so much more. There are so many amazing innovations that, that are highlighted and brought to the fore by the use and quick adoption in Asia, especially China. So this, though, is not coming from the demand of gamers, Right. So a lot of that innovation, esports, for example, we at Nika Partners often reference the four C's, which are um, competition, completion, community and challenge. And those are uh, aspects that you can find in many or all esports games, for example. And those are also aspects of gaming that in our survey work, we know that Chinese gamers and gamers throughout Asia really value this is these are why they play games at all because they mm-hmm. love the challenge they love to have the community aspect they love games that allow them to complete something and uh you know they love competition so all of those things point to how the gamers at the the in the demand side of the equation have driven an industry to grow esports mm-hmm. has grown as a result of that This scenario is flipped. So it's the supply that's being curtailed. So is that, uh, you know, would one, like an economist, would they consider that to be the same? I don't think so. so you know, you can talk about uh, aspects of the games industry that have risen up from Asia because it's been so popular. And mm. companies around the world say, I want to do that. I want to do what they're doing because... They've done this thing that has attracted millions and millions and hundreds of millions of users. So the game companies around the world admire that and say, I, I need to adopt you know free to play or gotcha mechanics or whatever. They need to come up with the hybrid monetization. They need to do things that are speaking to the gamers because they want to have uh, like an, a, a welling up of demand for their own games. But in this case, this is not a business decision. This is a political decision. The government mm. has said, despite all this demand, despite all you know what everybody wants to do, we don't think that this is the right thing to do. So we are going to stop this. Yeah, and, and I think that the, the idea is like, okay, they're, they're not playing and then it's interesting to know what else can they do, right? Because I think that's uh, if you're playing a game, it's you're using your time for something specific. If you don't have this game, you can do other stuff that can be more harmful, but that's probably another another topic. Um, the, the, the point of the Chinese government was that they want those kids to spend more time on their schoolwork. Yeah. It had been that, in fact, so Nico Partners is 
is going to do a Chinese youth gamers. We're publishing a Chinese youth gamers study in the coming year. And we had done one several years before, and that was before mobile games. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, of course we study gamers of all ages all the time, every week, but my, I'm specifically referring to one study that we did many years before, before mobile games. And at that time, there was a stark contrast be between our observation of gamers in the West, particularly like Europe or North America, where teenagers are spending a lot of time on consoles, Xbox, PlayStation, and so forth. Well, those were not even legal in China at the time of this particular study. Mm. Yeah. They were widely available, but they were not legal. So, uh, the, and there were no mobile phones and most game, most youth in China, even now their their school day is booked from 6 30 AM to 10 30 PM. It is a very strict regimen. They have eye exercises in the middle of the day to stretch their eyeballs back and forth. They have, you know, calisthenics, they have study groups, they have study hall, they have exams, they have a specific eating schedule. And many students live in dormitories during the week and sometimes go home on the weekends. You know, that, that is the, one of the drives of the government is to have as many students as possible in school during the week, like at the school, staying there at the school. Mm. And so as a result, they didn't have much time. And these gamers that we studied were uh, what we would call occasional gamers, one hour to seven hours a week, and mostly just when they went home. So then the advent of mobile gaming came and they all had a smartphone and then that was that, you know, honor of Kings emerged and there was a lot of opportunity to play. And, uh, and so then they got used to playing and maybe they didn't always want to play on their mobile device. They wanted to play on PC. Well, they had a PC because they were going to school. So maybe they were playing on PC and then consoles were easier to obtain. So maybe their dormitory got a console or what, anyway, the, my point being gaming accelerated and I think what we will find next year is that the number of hours per week for youth gamers is far higher than it was when it was one to seven hours. It'll be, you know, higher than that. And I don't know what, because we're not done with this analysis yet. Yeah. Thank you for that. So we understand that there would be less hours that the young generation would be able to play. Uh, you mentioned that maybe offline games will be more popular any other changes that you see in the gaming industry in China? Yeah, I think the biggest change is going to be in esports because esports games are very immersive and, you know, you have to play against other people. That's just the nature of it. So it has to be online and you, you learn by doing, you go to the internet cafe or you do certain things. Internet cafes are restricted for over 18 anyway, but you play a lot and then you watch streaming videos of your favorite team and your favorite players and your favorite games. And then you go practice and then you get together with your friends and you do it all, you know, everything happens. Mm -hmm. But if there's this restriction of time, then not enough time will be devoted to playing these esports games when you're young and then you go off to college and or university or whatever. And, uh, and sure, you'll have some more available time for you there, but you may or may not want to pursue esports games to the extent that you would have if you had been playing them when you were younger. And esports is the number one driver of, of gaming, you know, of game growth, revenue growth in gaming. 
And if we have a, a generation or beyond of people who just kind of lose interest because they're not able to be exposed to gaming as often, you know, the online immersive kind of gaming, then maybe esports starts to falter in China. And this goes um, against some of the major initiatives of the government also. Lots of cities in China that are building huge infrastructure with massive investment, stadiums and, you know, uh, streaming media and media contracts and signage and sponsorships and all this stuff. And if though if esports starts to wane, those cities are going to be, you know, not in a good position. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll have to watch that. Um, I think that a follow up question to what we discuss, uh, looking at the big gaming companies that we have, mm-hmm. you know, restriction of our limitation of money that can be spent by kids. Now, uh, recently, you just published that uh, gaming uh, China gaming regulators slowing down the game approval to reassess titles, and, and it's something that we know that it's happened in, in the past. Um, how how is it going to to affect this this big companies uh, globally um, in terms of um, again maybe, maybe it's repeating the, the the question that I asked you about innovation but I think that specifically um, it's also one thing is a big big gaming companies in China but the other thing is is other gaming companies that want to be uh, entering China which I believe that it's mm-hmm. becoming now something that Uh, becoming even a bigger challenge now? Mm. Well, the single biggest the single biggest hurdle to China's games market is regulations. Uh, and especially for foreign companies. And it's actually no different now than it was in the last couple of years. It's It's been much more constrained since 2018 or 2019. when 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 licensing restarted there was a nine month hiatus in 2018 prior to that there were far more licenses being granted but if you look back at the number of licenses granted to foreign games you know it's always been much smaller than domestic games and this year we're it's uh what you know we are worried because it had been that pretty much once a month there had been you An approval list of domestic games and uh, we, we, they were done in batches so a batch of a certain number of games had been approved but there'd only been two or maybe three instances of a batch of foreign games and now the last month or so there hasn't even been you know much of a domestic game list let alone a foreign game list and we're, we're waiting we still wait so there was a lot of hype in the media around After that uh, announcement of the three-hour regulation, there was a lot of hype that, oh, now the, you know, this uh, closed-door meeting said that there's going to be fewer, you know, a slowdown in game regulations and so forth. And, you know, that doesn't have much official merit because it wasn't ever stated overtly by the government. bodies that would state it and they are not shy so I think that we just are now waiting to see if there's going to be a bigger batch 
or because they had their hands full of all these regulations that came out recently about the three hour rule and everything else. So I think maybe there's a bigger batch on the horizon. We'll see. And, and if maybe for the one that are not so familiar with, with China and, and the approval process. So if uh, I'm, uh, you know, uh, a Western company that would like to launch my game in China, what, mm. what would be your kind of recommendation? Because I thought that it's only about like, you need to partner with one of the big, big companies to, uh, to launch that you, you cannot do it by yourself. Well, you can't do it by yourself. That's a law. They have to, you can't, because you can't access the telecom infrastructure as a foreign entity because it's deemed a matter of national security. So for that reason, you must partner with a domestic company. And that domestic company is the one that must apply for the ISBN, which is the approval license uh, for your game. And you know, there it's a sort of it's a fairly clearly written yet cumbersome process to get this accomplished. And the wild card is always how long will the review process take? Your review process will take much shorter time if you do your work and figure out what is legal, what is not in terms of content, what is approved, what is not, what is successful, what is not, and how many competing titles does your partner or your potential partner have in their pipeline because if there are competing titles, yours might not be prioritized by them because they might not see it as having the potential to bring in a lot of revenue. So there's a lot of work to be done to understand the market for your game, your potential partner opportunity, and the regulations that govern all games. And, and from, 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 your, from your experience, it will be interesting to, to, to understand like specific examples of like content that is not legit in, in China. What, what, what will it be like? Anything that's, you know, politically unacceptable. You know, Hong Kong is part of China. Don't tell them that it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taiwan is part of China. Don't pretend that it's not. That these are things. Um, they don't. They don't condone. They don't condone like the the expression of, you know, religion. So your spirit. If you die in the game, there can't be a spirit that floats upward because that implies the spirit is floating to heaven, and therefore that's a religious construct. You can't do that. Hmm. You have to just sort of wave goodbye and fade away. Um, blood is too gory. So you can't have blood spill out of a fallen soldier, even if they've just got their head slashed off by a sword. There will never be something, you know, totally gruesome or, uh, morally corrupt by many people's measure. You know, those types of games would not make it there. Okay. Um, Wow! Yeah, probably there is a lot, of, a lot to learn, and and uh, and gaming companies probably when they come to you, they're quite surprised about like the the details that they need to to go into uh, before uh, getting it to the approval process. Yeah, and once they do get it to the approval process, then they have more work to do to see is your game over indexing or under indexing in China against your global average. You know the usage of your game in your home country of Sweden or something, you know, is it, is the game 
performing above or below that measure in when it's in China. And if it's below, you have to find out why. Maybe your game is just simply not appealing to these gamers, or maybe something's happening, like with your game um, operating partner. Maybe they're not doing their job, and you need to check into it. Also, there's Steam right now, and Steam allows gamers in China to play all sorts of games that are not licensed. You know,、mm. not all games on Steam are licensed. Steam China, yes, all games are licensed, and they're not very many games. But Steam International. Is still not completely blocked there, and they and so gamers have the opportunity. And that, by the way, Steam International is not subject to these the three-hour rule. So, so how gamers, is that? How, how do you explain that there is no licensing and no restriction on, on Steam?、Uh, because Steam is not Steam is not officially there. It's it's a platform operated outside of China. So it's, it's all like the, they use it like using a VPN to access that. Um, you don't always have to, but many gamers do. And、uh, but there is a huge amount of usage of, from China of games. Mostly these games that are they have been translated or localized for Chinese users. They accept Alipay and Tencent Pay. They have、uh, the, all sorts of stuff happens to allow gamers in China to use Steam. And if if I'm looking because probably for a Western game that coming to China. And doing a partnership、uh, with a local partner, it probably would not be the case. So, what did you see in terms of, you know, a successful、uh, partnership of Western companies coming to China, in terms of the of of the marketing efforts? What worked? What didn't work?、Um, I think most importantly, what works is when they adjust their monetization model to fit the the way that gamers game in China. And and then they're able to generate enough revenue where they can do a lot more marketing, a lot more promotions, and they can really. If you listen, you just have to listen. Everybody has to listen in life. I think society overall is having a massive meltdown of listening skills, and the same thing holds true with your family, with government, with.、Um, Your neighbor, and with companies, and so if the if companies just listen to what the Chinese gamers are saying they want to do, that they will. So what what is that? What is that 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 you felt like you had the customers that were, you know, didn't listen, or, or what you need to listen to. For, for like, if you look at specific examples, well, you have to you have to say, okay,、uh, in China they like、um, a hybrid monetization model. They don't like it when、um, the game shuts off all the time.、Uh, they they will drop a game if there's a bunch of hackers and cheats inside. You know, they appreciate certain color schemes or. Gaming, it, they just have to pay attention to what has been successful and what you could do to to build on that.、Hmm. Uh, you know, in the in the case of Genshin Impact, you know, they saw a game that had been really successful, and they kind of created an online version of that game. You know, it was a Japanese game, but they created an online version of that game and changed it a bit, and it's a Chinese game with a Japanese style, and it's. Wildly successful because they listened. They saw what people were doing and where there was a business opportunity to build and leverage on that success. And I think that all companies could benefit from that. 
the last question that I have that if you had a time machine and you can go back um, almost 20 years ago when you started the mm. company anything that you would do differently uh, I probably would have spent a little more time building an infrastructure for the business because at the time nearly 20 years ago I never anticipated that it would continue this long and so I didn't really spend much time building a, a corporate infrastructure and and therefore you know sometimes things are a little wild around here <laughs> and okay. I think I would have done more to uh, to be methodical about building the business on the other hand it allowed me a lot of flexibility and I was able to pivot quite quickly love it um, thank you and, and and just to summarize we talked a lot about a lot of things what would be like kind of the one thing that That you want people to remember about our conversation about China and all the changes now I want people to remember that they have to listen they have to pay attention and they have to do their homework and they can't do it alone I want people to remember that uh, that gaming is has an amazing opportunity to be the great unifier globally that we don't have to draw country borders for every single thing we do but We can in fact find some commonalities and if we look at all the positive sides, not everything is positive, but if there if we were to focus on some of the positive aspects of gaming and things that are going well in China, you know, I believe that we can take those lessons and allow gamers worldwide to just be friends and play their games and and have some enjoyment and and wouldn't that be nice if you We could just find something positive to focus on in this day and age. Amazing. Um, thank you very much. Um, it, was, it was amazing. It was interesting. I learned a lot. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening to the episode today. Next month, we will be back with another interesting guest. And in the meantime, please make sure to hit the subscribe button. Uh, on your podcast software so we can make sure to update you with any new content that we will be releasing so for now on have a great day and see you soon <laughs>